My friend, Dr. Randy Kennedy, has been in the ministry for almost 50 years. He is full of life and has a great sense of humor. To be honest, I learned to love him because we laugh together. A lot. Imagine that. He's a pastor, preacher, and served as chaplain for pro-athletic teams and players in basketball, football, and golf. As a result of his behind-the-scenes, close-up look at pro-athletes as ordinary humans, he developed unique ways to communicate with them and is using that experience to impact many lives. He is humble and gifted, and he is a much-in-demand speaker. You will hear about that unique ministry in this podcast. But as a youngster in the 1960s and long before becoming a minister, Randy became a drummer for a rock and roll band. The band did well, and their moment of fame found them appearing on the Dick Clark Happening 68 show. Big time stuff. As a drummer, you will hear Randy's most requested song in those days was the very popular Wipeout. If you're a person who was around in the 60s, you know it well. A drummer for life, Randy still plays Wipeout today and remembers the good old days of rock and roll, while at the same time, thanks God for the riches of today. But as a minister many years ago, Randy experienced a real Wipeout, just like the Wipeouts we all have experienced in life. He lost his ministry, resulting in him hitting rock bottom. In almost a blink of an eye, he found himself moving from pastoring a wonderful church to working in construction to make ends meet. He did not see a path forward to do again what he knew he was put on earth to do. But God had a plan. He always has a plan. He used unsuspecting pro-athletes who loved him in spite of his failures to not only save his ministry, but to save his life. His wipeout did not define him, and your wipeout should not define you. God used a very difficult time in Randy's life for good, just as he promises to do for all of us. Randy came out on the other side with a different and much more powerful message. This is a story of restoration and grace just like the story of the Bible. Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker. This is Bruce Goddard, and you're listening to the View from a Hearse podcast. I've got with me today my longtime friend, Dr. Randy Kennedy. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for doing this. I know you're a busy guy. Thank you for jumping on this podcast with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Bruce. It's certainly uh, an honor of mine to be on your show today. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what we're going to talk about. So you're in charge, buddy. Yeah, who knows what we're going to talk about. These conversations (laughs) go in a lot of different directions. Randy, I'll never forget first meeting you. We served on a board together in Macon, and we were dealing with some pretty heavy stuff at some times, but I remember, what I remember most about you is these little social hours we'd have at people's house or potluck suppers or whatever we did, 
laughing and us telling stories back and forth, and I mean laughing uncontrollably. So you've done a lot more in your life than laugh, but I can tell you that sense of humor I remember well. We, we did a lot of laughing, right? Well, I tell you what, when you get a preacher together and a funeral home director together, you're going to get some stories, and they're not going to be your regular stories. So, I, <laughs> again, I laugh so hard at you telling stories, and then we got, you know, going with each other about stuff that we've experienced. And, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. It's hard to believe that was 31 years ago that we met. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know what I also remember? You had, I think, when you first came on that board, I think I came on a little before you, not much, but... Yeah, you. I remember you came in. You had, your front tooth was knocked out or something. You had a cap or something came off your tooth, but you came right into meeting, didn't bother you a bit, and smiled at everybody. You remember that? I remember it well. In fact, I was preaching, and as I was preaching, I used the word Zion. And when I said Zion, that front tooth came out <laughs> like somebody jerked it out. It fell into the flower in front of the pulpit, and I looked up and I said, "Folks, the sermon is over. I've lost my tooth." So. <laughs> well, what I was impressed with, you came to the public meeting with your tooth out. I thought I loved it. I laughed. That reminds me of my my older brother's a preacher. He's retired, and yeah, he's got the same disease I've got called IBS. And uh, <laughs> he was right in the middle of a sermon, and he had to go and. He told the person the leading the worship to come up and sing all six verses of something. He was going to go out for a little bit, and he left well, them and then came back. Yeah. Well, so, you just have to make fun of it. I'd rather make fun of it than be made fun of. So I just I just took advantage of that. So I've never tried to use the word Zion anymore in the message because <laughs> I'm a little bit older then, and maybe three or four would fall out. Now. That's so, the truth. I'm not going to do it. So. Folks, if, as I've already mentioned, if you heard the beginning of this, Randy is a very versatile guy. He, he is a pastor. He's actually an interim pastor now, but he's had a quite a run. He's done a little bit of everything, and one of which we're going to talk about is this whole ministry he's had to professional athletes. So we're going to get into that. But Randy, you started off, uh, you were an athlete yourself, right? Growing up, talk about your, your love for sports. Well, I played football and baseball when I was a younger boy and then got into a rock and roll band when I was in the eighth grade in high school and decided to go into the rock and roll business versus uh, being an athlete. So after that, I didn't play sports. And then I picked up golf and then church softball. So I've always loved sports my whole life. My brother was a great athlete. And so I always kind of wanted to be like him and following his footsteps. And uh, so I, I, I love being competitive. It's just something in me. So the golf came later then? You weren't playing golf early on. You're like a scratch golfer, right? I was. I'm, I don't scratch much anymore now. <laughs> well, I do now because I'm confused why I hit that shot the way I did, so I usually <laughs> scratch with that. But, but uh, yeah, I've been playing golf, uh, boy, close to 50-something years. Love the game. Love the game. You're obviously a great player, and uh, you're having fun in that sport now. Yeah. Did you ever think that your love for sports and playing football as a kid and later spending all this time playing golf and being a drummer for a rock and roll band, that somehow God would use that to help other people? Did you ever even phantom that as you would had the passion for that? You know, absolutely not, because, again, I wasn't a Christian in school, elementary school or high school, so... I had no real church affiliation whatsoever, so God and what I was doing or what I had planned to do uh, in my life just 
didn't coincide with each other. So I had no idea that uh, God would take a passion that I had, which was sports and competition and uh, a desire to uh, try to achieve and win would be used in such a way. And Bruce, I'll be honest with you, I still pinch myself. I'm just amazed at what God has let me do uh, all through the years. In fact, Lisa and I were having dinner last night at a restaurant and we were going in the front door and one of my Georgia Forest Arena football players saw me and we came over there and hugged and we talked and he was very faithful in chapel. And uh, when he walked away, I, I, I got emotional within myself thinking, you know, God, thank you that there's a football player's life that was touched, uh, not by me, but by you, but by the opportunity of sharing the word in a football chapel. So, wow. Yeah, I, and I know that, that you've built relationships with these people that will last. It was much more than just the moment, but you've built lifetime relationships with people that, like you just said, somebody would see you and all of a sudden you'd have this great conversation and bear hug, you know? That, uh, yeah. Well, it wow. was something like, because this guy's about 6'5 and 300 pounds of a sculptured body, not like mine. And uh, we just had a great time together talking last night. It really blessed my heart to see him. You've been a preacher. You've been a pastor. You're a conference speaker. I know you speak to churches to help grow churches. You've done a little bit of everything. The word that describes you is versatile, and you've certainly been that. You've done a little bit of everything, but talk about how you got started in this ministering to pro athletes. How did all that, or high-profile athletes, how did all that get started? Well, I was actually pastoring in uh, Dalton, Georgia, and a friend of mine named Bill Barker was the chaplain for Northwest High School there in Dalton, and he was uh, asking me would I be interested in helping him out one year. Uh, as an assistant chaplain for the football team. And I thought, well, yeah, that would be fun. I've never done that before. Didn't know what was involved in it, but said yes to that. And uh, so I served there for one year. And then uh, my family moved down to Macon, Georgia. And our daughters went to Tatna Square Academy there in Macon and uh, got to know Barney Hester real well, uh, who, by the way, is my favorite coach of all coaches I work with on every level. Hmm. Uh, Barney Hester, just a dear friend and a great, great guy. Uh, So got involved with Tatna Square for about five years doing their football team. And uh, my daughters were cheerleaders uh, with the school. And then my brother was working with the Atlanta Hawks at the time. And he tried to get me to do it for years, but I was pastoring in Macon, neighboring Atlanta. So that was going to be kind of a commute. But uh, he was ready to move on. And so I took over. And that's how I got into the professional ranks uh, with the Hawks was through him. You spent, what, 10 years being the chaplain at Atlanta Hawks? Yeah, I was there 10 years. He was there for about 13. So for really over 20 years, we dealt with the Atlanta Hawks doing their Bible study, providing speakers and, you know, all the stuff that you do. What did you learn about professional athletes? You know, they're gifted athletes. There's no doubt about that. Or they wouldn't be at that level doing what they do. But I really found out and God really opened my eyes in lots of ways. And I've tried to share that wherever I go, that athletes are just normal people and tried to explain to the audience that I'm speaking to that whether you've got millions of dollars or whether you're broke, the need is the same for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's one thing that I learned over and over and over again. Uh, Even the biggest name NBA players, the stuff that they had to deal with, 
uh, in you know in their personal lives, the tragedies, the divorces, the death in their families. And when I was able to speak to those players at that level, I would see them tear up. I would see them embrace me when I told them I was praying for them and reaching out to them. And I found out, boy, you're just as normal as I am. I'm sure you've got stories with those guys. I mean, you performed funerals for some of them, maybe weddings. I mean, you've, you've ended up being involved with some of these people's lives, but I'm sure there's stories that came out of all that with some of these uh, people that others would recognize their names, right? Yeah, and I don't usually like to bring them up a lot because I, you know, it sounds like I'm dropping names and trying to impress people. Uh, but, you know, so I, I usually don't. But I've met people in all kinds of arenas. Uh, that would be big names that uh, I've had uh, the opportunity of sharing one-on-one with. And uh, it was, it was uh, number one, a privilege. And then, again, just God working in their life at that moment. I call them ministry moments where God does something in that moment in their life. Yeah. Quite amazing. Yeah. Well, during your 10 years with the Hawks, there's all kind of stuff that came out of dealing with stuff that you never thought you'd be dealing with, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of funny stories, a lot of, a lot of tears in chapel, a lot of crying in chapels because I'm emotional anyway. But, uh, but to see God work and to hear those players talk and to spend time with their families, their wives and their children and, and uh, getting to go to the hospital when they were having surgeries or their wives was giving birth to, you know, one of their children. Uh, and being able to be there was just a really amazing thing for me. So you also spent years being the chaplain of the Georgia Force, the arena football team that's owned by Arthur Blank, right? Right. Yeah, he also owned the Falcons at the time, and he also bought the Georgia Force. So uh, that was quite amazing in and of itself. Were you able to meet Arthur? Did you have a relationship with him, or were you mainly dealing with the players or what? Well, dealing with the players, but again, had the privilege of spending a really, I would say, a whole lot of time with Mr. Blank because he was always at every game. He was in the locker room before the game. He was in the locker room after the game. And then I remember one night uh, I was at the arena and he wanted to know if I wanted to go to the away game. I believe it was in Ohio or maybe California. I'm not sure. I said, well, yeah, I'd love to. So I'm thinking, well, I got to buy me a ticket and deal all that and he said well just meet me at my hangar and we'll fly out there on his plane well that was an amazing thing for me to do so i got to do that several times and uh i really enjoyed flying on a gulf stream like that oh yeah oh it was nice it was very nice oh yeah no question he was he he was an incredible guy i really enjoyed the time seeing and watching him being a being a leader uh in the way that i saw that yeah so now you're serving as a chaplain and player. I guess you're still playing on the Sunbelt Senior Professional Golf Tour. Talk about that a little bit. What's, how did that come about? Well, I, that was, again, an amazing thing. I was on the Internet one day doing some research, and I looked at something that said uh, Sunbelt Senior Tour, and I thought, well, I'm a senior and a Sunbelt Senior Tour for golfers. I might want to see what that's about. So I looked it up and uh, made contact with the owner, told him who it was and what I was doing. I'd done the Hawks and, the, and I was doing the Georgia Force at the time. And did they have a chaplain? He said, uh, well, it's funny you ask. I just spoke with FCA, Jose Alvarez, and uh, <laughs> uh, they were going to bring Jose on as doing the chaplain there. But he was also a player on the Champions Tour, Mini Tour at the time. So he and I met, and, and the rest is history, as they said. For 14 years, I served at that 
two years ago, the owner sold the tour, and we always had kind of an agreement, when you sell the tour is when I'm going to retire. And so we both retired kind of at the same time. Yeah, so you've played golf all over the country, right? Yeah, I did. I got to play in all the tournaments, which was, again, a surprise to me because the first time I talked to the owner, he said, well, do you play golf? I said, yeah. I do. He said, well, what do you shoot? And I said, well, I can shoot in the middle 70s to the high 90s. And he laughed. He said, you'd be perfect out here. I thought, oh, yeah, really, I would. And he said, well, come on and play in the tournaments with us. So I did. I got to play in every tournament with uh, former PGA Tour players, champion tour players. And wow, that's all I can say is wow. Getting to tee off with those guys and watch them hit a golf ball in ways I've never hit one. Are you still doing that, or are you retired no, from playing? No, two years ago, he sold the tour, and so I, I retired from doing that. I'm really itching to get back into some kind of sports ministry. Boy, do I miss all that. 30 years of doing that, over 30 years, I sure do miss that. You mentioned a while ago, you kind of hit on it. How did you tie your passion for sports with your passion for ministry? How did How did that happen? Well, I've always said this, and I believe this to be true, and when I go out and do different speaking engagements, I bring this up, that if we as Christians could live our life the way an athlete lives his or her life, we could change our world in 10 minutes. Uh, because in an athlete's life, you got words like you know perseverance and vision and patience and desires and competition and hard work and practice and discipline and commitment, and if we just did that in our own life. So I thought, you know, if we could take the two of those, take the life of an athlete, take the life of Jesus Christ and what he asked us to do and the commitment that he asked of us, put the two together, I think there's something there. And so that's how I blended those two together. It's quite hard to talk about basketball from a biblical perspective because it's never in the Bible. (laughs) Same thing about football. We don't see anything about field goals and penalties and same thing in golf. But God really just used that to create something in me in ways to share with them on their level, but yet bring the Bible in there. I remember doing a chapel service one time to our golfers that God is like a caddy. And I talked about a caddy because they're very familiar with caddies because they have caddies. And what the caddy does and how the caddy gives them instructions and gives them advice. But then the caddy backs away and they have to make the shot. I I think one of the best Bible studies I ever did out there was I took a scorecard and divided it up by the average age of a male back then. And I said, guys, in our life right now, at our present ages, we're playing on hole number 14 or 15 in our life. Hmm. And we've got three holes to go. Now, what are we going to do for the next three holes? Hmm. So taking taking the word and making it apply to a golfer or a football or basketball player. Well, you, I've seen, I hadn't heard it, but I've seen like you do these object lessons when you're speaking, like you had Tree Rollins. I had my picture made with Tree Rollins uh, yeah. for you folks. He's an NBA, former NBA player, came from Cordell, Georgia. And yeah. I ran into him at something and have a picture taken. And I remember my wife was about to have sinus surgery, which is not fun. Nope. And I had my picture made and I, she went in the hospital, almost got killed by her for doing this, but I framed that picture and put it beside her bed. <laughs> and I told her, I said, you know, pain is relative. I mean, you're, you're hurting bad, but people say I'm tall. And yeah. look, look look next to Tree Rollins, I'm look pretty short. <laughs> he was seven, whatever he was. 
And Kathy, oh, yeah. Kathy didn't like that lesson, but anyway, I thought it's funny. But you take, well, I think it's good. You, you you actually take his his shoe. What's the what? What do you do there? Give us some of the object lessons you do that you've done through the years. Well, it was actually the Kimbe Matumbo shoe that I used, and it was a size twenty two. And at the time, it was the largest foot uh, with Shaquille O'Neal in the NBA. So when you take a size twenty two shoe and bring it out as an illustration. It gets people's attention. They laugh. I've had people take their pictures with it, with their shoes on, because, you know, the average person might wear a size 9 shoe. Well, you can put your shoe inside the Kimbe shoe and take a picture with it. So I always talked about, you know, following somebody's footsteps or when you go through life, you leave a footprint, and then I end up by pulling out the shoe, and people just gasp. Because it look it looks like it's fake. In fact, my grandson, my oldest grandson, who's twenty two now, my youngest grandson, when he was born, we put him inside the shoe and laced him up, <laughs> and his head was just out like a bobbing cork. And uh, I showed that to Dikembe one day, and he just—I mean—he got beside himself laughing at that picture. But that's how big the shoe is. So yeah, I've used a lot of illustrations like that uh, through the years of showing people a, a shoe or basketball, golf ball, uh, or whatever the case may be. One of the things that I do is like I, I do a message along the line of what's in your hand. God wants to use whatever you're capable of doing in this life, whether you be a plumber, electrician, a surgeon, God wants to use what's in your hand. So I'll bring up on the platform when I'm speaking a basketball, a golf ball, and maybe some golf clubs. And I use it as an illustration how that you can take something that has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the Bible, but yet use it as an illustration to be used for the glory of God. So I'll talk about the golf and how I mark my golf ball. Every PGA Tour player has to mark their ball with their own marking. And the way that I always mark my golf ball was three dots. There was a black dot, there was a red dot, and a blue dot on my golf ball. And I've given countless hundreds of those away through the years to different pastors and people uh, to get them to pray for me and the ministry that I had. But the blue represented heaven. The red represented the blood of Jesus Christ and the black represented sin. And Bruce, what that did to me when I was out there playing golf, again, 20 weeks of the year all over the eastern United States, all the way to Arizona and back, it would remind me of why I was out there. Because I'm so competitive, and I, I wasn't going to beat these guys, but I sure tried to beat them. But it just reminded me that I'm out there to show those people that Jesus Christ is the way, and that you can have a better life through Him. And it was a great reminder to me. You know, that there's so many life lessons in everything you do. If we would just look for them, it's, I'll tell the story. I had this guy I played golf with. He was my dad's age, and he was back when I hit it a long way, but I didn't know where it was going, but he hit it about <laughs> 200 yards straight down the middle. Yeah. And, and we'd get to the green. He could putt like a crazy man. I mean, I've never seen anybody putt like him. Mm. He would beat you around the green, but he would always say, and he'd see my ball way past his, and he we'd finish the hole. He said, Bruce, remember, it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've used that in really company meetings and really go out and get a golf glove, glove and say, listen, it's a sales conference or whatever. No matter where you are, it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. So you're not done. Uh, you may be in the rough. Uh, yeah. You may be right down the middle and short, but it's not over till you 
it's over and you don't give up and you keep going. And there's so many lessons that you find out here just in everyday life. And, uh, man, that's good stuff. I, I'm, when I saw what you were doing, it turned that light on. This, that yeah. Just about everything you do, if you just think about it a little bit, you can apply it to life lessons. So you also, you, you mentioned you, you were a drummer. And the, the wipeout, boy! I remember that song. <laughs> well, I used to have to play that at high school dances till my arms fell off. Oh, yeah. uh, we used to do like forty-five minute shifts, and we did it for four hours. We used to play for four to four and a half hours. Well, every every crowd wants to hear wipeout. Well, it's a fun song to play, but again, after a while, and then beating the drums for four hours, your arms are like spaghetti noodles. And then they want to close it, wipe out at midnight, and oh. It was tough, but it was a great song. I love, in fact, I play it now. So I was going to ask you, do you still play the drums? You still get I, do, I do every Sunday uh, <laughs> or every Wednesday in our church. Is that right? Uh, I, play, I, I, pray in, I play in our band, and uh, I love to play drums. I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a drummer. I did a podcast. It's, it's really the number one listened to podcast I've done with the Malibus, which was a garage band that came up in the 60s, which you were very familiar with after the Beatles yep. came out. And these guys just were amazing. They, You know, most garage bands were not very good, but this was one of the exceptions for sure. They really made a name for themselves, not, never hit it big time, but they had quite a following. And then they started doing these reunion things that, that last in January, the end of January, it was a thousand people there at this dance that they did. Wow. It's just people, old people getting wow. up and dancing. So that's a podcast. I don't know the number of it right now, but it's, yeah. it's the Malibus. And they knew that they were getting to the end of it. And yesterday, because they were getting old, they were 75 years old and they knew this would <laughs> last January, the last one. And sure enough, one of the, the lead guitarists who I knew well died. I went to his funeral yesterday and all those guys oh, were wow. there. We grew up at a great time, uh, music wise. I can tell you that. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt about it. And our, our claim to fame, we were called the Monarchs. We were again known locally in the state and played high schools and colleges and universities and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, in 1968, we were out in California on Dick Clark's Happening 68 with oh. Paul Revere and Raiders. Oh, really? And, yeah, that was something. I mean, we made a record. And uh, so, we, you know, we were famous for a little bit of time and enjoyed that and had no idea what it meant back then. So I wanted to hear about this bracelet that you wore for years. I don't know if you still wear it, but you, you were wearing it for sure out on the golf course that glows in the dark, rubber, ra rubber wristband. <laughs> And, yeah. and on the the wristband is 1P134 and then a blank space and then 53787. Seven. So that was an attention grab. But talk about that. What, what was your bracelet? Well, in fact, I got one on right now. I've had one on for the last, I guess, 10, 12 years since uh, we did this. And I've given away, oh, I can't even tell you how many I've given away through the years and with players and athletes and preachers and churches and members. It's great to use at a funeral. Because First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 talks about that we have a reservation or it's reserved for us in heaven 
And I was studying one day to preach on that particular passage. And I thought as I was sitting there, because I made so many reservations on the golf tour, you know, hotel reservations, car reservations. And I thought, well, if I've got a reservation in heaven, then I've got to have a confirmation number. And so I was sitting there thinking, what could be my confirmation or what is my confirmation number to heaven? If I've got a reservation again, I've got to have confirmation. So I was sitting there and I thought, what would be a good confirmation? And I thought, well, the only way I'm going to get to heaven is through Jesus. So I began to look on my phone and I spelled out Jesus on my phone and it's 53787. And Bruce, I can't tell you how many opportunities God's given me through the years as I'm sitting there in a restaurant, a Waffle House, or on the airplane, or wherever it may be, and somebody says, sir, I, I'm not being nosy, but what do all those numbers mean? And I come back, I said, well, appreciate you asking, but that's my confirmation number to heaven. Now, when you want to look at a puzzled look on somebody's face, <laughs> and they go, no, I'm serious. I said, well, I am too. It's my confirmation. Why did you get that? Well, I got it in the Bible. Well, where is it in the Bible? So, you know, here we go with hook, line, and sinker. And uh, so I just begin to share. Well, if you check your phone out, 53787 spells J-E-S-U-S. And Jesus is our confirmation to heaven. So I love sharing it. I've given away, again, countless, hundreds of them uh, through the years. Wow. Well, it gets people's attention, and I know it gives you a lot of opportunities. Part of what you've done is going into churches to be a catalyst to help them grow, right? Hadn't you done that kind of ministry as well? Yeah, I did that uh, for a while with our convention, the um, Georgia Baptist Convention. I did Sunday school conferences for years uh, to go in as a consultant, work with the church, kind of create a, a desire to redo their organization a little bit so they can get more out of it. So, yeah, I did that for a long period of time. Well, you've had quite a run, but I also know that just like everybody else, your time on earth and even your time in ministry has not been all roses. There's been potholes along the way. You even say that at one point you thought you had lost it all. Talk about that because people go through trials in life and you're, you've lived through trials and you look back and you're, you're still going strong. There may be somebody in the middle of something and think they've blown it and will, and don't have a chance. Talk about that whole thought. Well, you know, I think, Bruce, that life is just trials, tribulations, setbacks, detours, road bumps, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're normal. And I think for a lot of Christians, they don't want to admit it. They're afraid to talk about it. That They have situations in their lives that causes them to have excessive pain or to feel like a failure or to feel like that they're uh, useless now and hopeless. And uh, so I, I, I've had my share through the years. Just in pastoring alone, that's enough to, uh, to drive you crazy sometimes when you're trying to grow a church and trying to change a church and put a church back on course and, and the things that people say about you, the hurt that you feel and the shame and all that. So, you know, that's just a part of ministry and just a part of life. So you kind of go on through that. But then there's those times that you just, your world does fall apart. And, and mine fell apart back in 1999. I went through a divorce as a Southern Baptist pastor, and I would not recommend that to anybody anywhere, anytime. And uh, lost everything that I had, lost the church. Uh, lost uh, my ministry with my colleagues and a lot of people turned their back on me, didn't talk to me, wouldn't talk to me. 
uh, rejected me, and I went uh, as rock bottom in my mind and in my life, Bruce, as you can go. And uh, it was a very painful time. I, I talk about it when I'm asked. I share it when I need to. But it's something that uh, is just ever present. Like David said, you know, it's just ever present before me. And, and why I got to do what I got to do afterwards, I'll never uh, understand it in this life. But it's the grace of God. Yeah, the unfathomable grace of God, right? It is. And, I, you know, I was at chaplain for the Atlanta Hawks at that time, and I met with my players uh, like two days after all this came down. And I told the players, I said, guys, it looks like I'm going to go through a divorce. And if you want me to walk out this door right now as your chaplain, you know, I'll walk out right now and we can shake hands and hug each other and go on our separate ways. And I'll be honest, we hadn't been for the Atlanta Hawks. Hmm. I don't know what I'd have done. Those guys came up and loved me hugged me, told me I wasn't going anywhere. They loved me. They loved my care and my passion for them, and I wasn't going anywhere. I called the front office the next day at the Atlanta Hawks to my contact man and told him, I said, Frank, I'm probably going to go through a divorce, and if I'm in any way going to put a stain on this organization or cause some stuff, I'll walk out right now. And he said, oh, Randy, absolutely not. We love you here. We appreciate everything you do. So my saving grace at the moment was was my athletes and that organization that just said, no, Randy, you just keep on doing what you do. We believe in you and uh, we want you to succeed. And You know, what's interesting is when something happens like that, it's interesting that the people outside of the church tend to embrace you more than the people inside the church. That's a, that's a great lesson for all of us. You know, it is. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something that I've told a few times along the way, because I had one of my big friends with the convention come up and kind of piously put his arm around me and look at me. He said, hey, Randy, he said, let, let me ask you something. Um, how did you survive this? And I looked at him. I said, do you want me to uh, tell you the truth? He said, well, sure. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you how I survived it. Lost people got around me and loved me. Now, Bruce, he, he had no idea. You talking about deer in the headlights? <laughs> he uh-huh. had no idea what to say because that was not the answer he was wanting or looking for or expecting. I said, lost people got around me. And then through the years, and now that's been 22 years ago, or, yeah, 22 years ago, oh, I could shout in my office right now of the grace of God, the mercy of God, the the working of God, the forgiveness of God. I, I could get really happy on you, Bruce. <laughs> well, you know, that that message is all through the New Testament. You look at the religious leaders, even in the life of Jesus, he didn't like it a bit. <laughs> no. And you get this religion, you get this pious outlook that somehow yep. I got it together and you don't. I don't know who yep. the guy was to put his arm around you and ask that question, nor do I care. But I can tell you with 100% certainty he was not coming to you from a position of strength. He was a human being. He just found something that you had been through that he hadn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't that, isn't that true? It's 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 a grace walk, and, and and we're all in desperate need of grace. Oh, absolutely. And then through the years, as I would see some pastors that I had lunch with and been in their church and preached in their church that you know didn't talk to me, wasn't going to talk to me. I'd see them out, and I'd just make sure I talked to them, and I wanted to walk up and let them know I was still alive and well, 
and when they said, well, what are you doing now, Kennedy? And I'd say, well, I'm pastoring here or I'm doing this or doing that. And they look at me like, oh, wow, we thought you were going to have a beard and be homeless and be on the side of the street, you know, because you'd sinned. You did something wrong and, you know, we couldn't fellowship with you anymore. And, uh, but God's not that way, and thank God he's not. So let me ask you this. How did that change your ministry to people who go through things where they've messed up or they've gone through divorce or they've gone through whatever? I know that had to change how you relate to people because of what you went through. You became better as a minister, I guarantee you. Well, 100%, and it changed everything because I've always said that if you've never received grace, then you can't give grace. And if you've never received forgiveness, you can't give forgiveness. And so now, the last 20-something years, and I was a, a lot like this prior to that, but more so now when people tell me, well, you know, I, I used to go to church and I was involved, but I went through a divorce or I did this or I did that. Church kicked me out. And I said, well, okay, come on, go to my church. I'm not going to kick you out. I'm going to love you. In fact, you sit on the platform on me Sunday morning if you want to. <laughs> really? I'm just telling you, Bruce, it changed everything in my life. And again, I, I was, I thought I was a pretty loving guy before and reached out to people and very compassionate to people, but it turned that up a million percent. So I'm very sensitive to people who tell me they've done something wrong and don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm sure. I know there are people listening to this that have screwed up, that are struggling mm. and they mm. it, it may be something they did it may be something that they got sucked into it may be something that nobody did but they just in the ditch what, what's your wisdom for them what, what's your message to them right now simple get out of the ditch go find you somebody that'll reach and grab your hand pull you out love you dust you off work with you restore you pray for you encourage you and get out of the ditch and there are people around that will do that aren't they Oh, absolutely. So, you know, absolutely. the problem is, I talk about this. I, I wrote a book about Eulen Brown that talks about being in the ditch, exactly what you're talking about. But a lot of us like being in the ditch. That's the problem. We become comfortable in the ditch. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and we really don't want to get out of the ditch. And we like people worrying about us and taking care of us. And so there's some crazy thing in our head that likes that. Uh, but it's a trap, right? It is. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to my athletes and go back to my own personal life as an athlete, too. I think it was that that helped me because I was in the ditch and I kind of liked it at the beginning because I was getting pity and, you know, how all that goes. But then that competition, that memory of the scriptures, that perseverance, that vision that God put in me years and years ago, as much as it kind of got turned down a little bit, it never I never lost the flame. And so I started doing construction for a year and a half. I'm out there putting shingles on a roof, screening in porches, building porches, digging footings. And I'm thinking, this is not where I belong. Thank God I had it to do to you know pay bills and keep my sanity. But I kept thinking, I, this, ain't, this ain't me. Nothing wrong being a construction worker. I thank God for him and love doing it. But that that was something in me, Bruce, that drove me. Well, because people were helping me doing it because they weren't around. Hmm. But it was that inward passion, desire. You know what? I'm going to get out of this ditch. I cannot tell you how. And I cannot tell you when. But I'm getting out of this ditch. 
So I, I think the lesson there, there's, there's consequences. It doesn't, you know, you can be forgiven, but there's consequences for what you do. And there are yep. people that are living now, and I put in quote, doing construction work when they should be the boss or whatever. Yeah. That's a, maybe a bad example. But the, the, no. the message is it ain't over. You, you, you keep doing what you're doing and, and keep your eyes open and watch for God, right? because yeah. he's not yeah, done things, yeah. yeah, the consequences are there. there it's never going to be the same, and that's something you have to realize and deal with. But there again, if if it's over, I don't want to serve God. I don't want a God that tells me, Randy, it's over. Right. You know, you, you might as well die. You might as well shoot yourself and end your life because I'm through with you and you're useless. Oh, I, I've, been to, I've been to India. I've been to... South Africa, all this is for pastor's conferences. Since all of that happened, I'm telling you, God is differently, different to me now than he was before. He'd have to be, have to be, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, I see the word differently, I, I, I hear God differently, I see God differently, and uh, man, I'm pumped about God, I'm, I'm telling you. Well, you're the kind of uh, minister I want to be around because when I'm listening to somebody, that comes across as that I've got it all together. I immediately have hurdles to overcome, but to even listen to them. When you listen to somebody that is transparent and say, listen, it ain't been easy here. And somehow through the grace of God, I'm still here doing more than I ever thought. That is a message of hope for people. And I, I that is, that is what it's all about. My friend, I, I'm telling you. I think it is, Bruce, because if people can't relate to me, they're never going to relate to God. Not that I'm God, and I, I'm not saying it that way, but we represent God on this earth. We are the salt and the light. And if people cannot relate to me or understand me, how are they going to understand a God that they can't see, never talk to, never shaking his hand? How are they going to do that? We're the conduit that gets them to God. Right. Wow. they got to be able to relate to us. And they did that to Jesus in such a, a magnificent way. So, Randy, you're now been the interim pastor at Bethany Baptist Church. I want to mention that. I actually spoke there one Sunday morning. My wife's Uncle Leon Wyndham yeah. and his wife Mandy are members there. I know they, they used to be very active. They're not young chickens anymore. But I'm telling you, that couple, my wife's dad died when she was a junior in high school. Hmm. Her mother did incredibly well raising these kids. I mean, my wife's got a wonderful family, but Leon and Mandy, they would come every Christmas Eve, be there Christmas morning, bring all their kids to have Christmas with them to make sure my wife's family had Christmas. I just want you to know that they're elderly now. They can't get there as much as they did, but they are phenomenal people. I just, I thought I wanted to mention them. I know you know him. I don't think she's able to come to church now, but they are wonderful folks. They are. Leon's here uh, most every Sunday, and Mandy's not able to right now, but she, you know, she and I have talked on the phone, and Leon is just a quality, uh, wonderful, born-again believer that I love being around. And, you know, his son Terry led the music here for years. Oh, yeah, I know it. I know He did. Leon's got more jokes than you could shake a stick at. I can tell you that. He gets you laughing. And in yeah. his prime, uh, yep. you, you couldn't hang with him. He's a, he's a great guy. So yeah. I want to move to now to your bride. I mean, you've got now, I mean, your life has completely changed. You've got a wonderful wife who's an important part of your ministry. You know, again, I, I'm so emotional and I get so emotional and I'm going to try not to get emotional here, but uh, 
I'm so grateful for Lisa in every aspect of the word. Uh, when Lisa and I were talking about getting married and thinking about getting married, she's a gifted singer. God has used her. Uh, in fact, she sang in our chapel services for the Hawks, the Georgia Force. She always was uh, there with the football, I mean, the uh, golfers. She was my caddy and during the summertime because she's a school teacher. Uh, by trade, but boy, during the summer and her off time, she would be out there caddying with me and always singing uh, in our Bible studies and our players and all the organization just loved her. And uh, I told Lisa, I said, you know what? Uh, let's get married, but I want to get married to minister together. And boy, God has done that, Bruce. Uh, we've been to, again, India. We've been to Honduras. Every church I've been involved in, uh, to preach in, to do a conference in, she'll come and sing and I'll preach. We we kind of the one-two punch, I like to say, when we go into churches and God's just opened all kinds of doors for us through the years to minister in churches and she'll sing and I'll preach. And I, you know, she's just a, an incredible lady to me and she's a godsend and uh, without her, I wouldn't be doing of what we're doing now. It's a together thing, I promise you. You've got some wonderful kids, girls, right? And the family is very important to you. I've seen some pictures of you all gathered together and all that. So you that's family life is very important, right? Well, it's huge for me. It always has been and always will be. My two daughters still live down there beside you and Warner Robbins. Yeah, I need to meet them. I, I, I may have, but I didn't realize who they were if I did. Yeah, they're they're incredible uh, girls. God used them, and they're grown now. They're almost 47, 48, 46, somewhere in there. You're going to get in trouble telling their age. I know it. I know it. They're going to they're gonna get on to me, but they're they're doing good. Got wonderful husbands. Got great kids. I got some wonderful grandchildren. Uh, and then uh, about eight years ago, God brought a girl into our life named Jade. Uh, my wife was mentoring her at school where she was a teacher at. And through a series of events, when she turned 16, we were able to bring her into our home. And uh, we've been raising her and letting her live there and and just grown to love her. She's grown to love us uh, over these years. And so we call her one of our own. And she's constantly around us. And she's just really brought a great light into our life. And I so appreciate what God's done in her to teach me lessons about young people today. Kathy and I had the opportunity years ago. We had three different people live at our house extended time. One was a 15-year-old girl who was pregnant. She's still like her our daughter. She's like 50 years old now. Yeah. We love her forever, but she lived with us. And uh, you, you may remember that. That was through the, the Save a Life ministry right. in Macon. I, I do. Yeah, and so she stood. Then we had a girl that was a senior in high school. Her parents were moving because of the job. She didn't want to leave, so we said, come live with us. And then we had a guy, friend of our boys, at another time. He just kind of moved in by osmosis. I'm not sure how he got there, but he was there for probably three or four years. But all of that, all of these people were very important. They taught us much more than we taught them, so love to hear, hear that. Randy, yeah. when you think about it, I know you could give a spiritual answer, and I know what it would be, but what what do you consider your greatest accomplishment in life? Uh, that caused a little silence. <laughs> well, it did, and I mean, 
I'm just going to, I'm going to say it this way, Bruce. I think what I've accomplished has nothing to do with sports, has nothing to do with who I've met, whose home I've been in, nothing like that. Not even the churches that I pastored. My greatest accomplishment in life is just watching God work in my life. Wow. I, I, I can't, I don't know how to say it in any other words than that, just that I've stayed with it this long. In fact, in two years from now, I'm going to have been in the ministry 50 years. Now, buddy, in 50 years, you get knocked down, you get criticized, ridiculed, you get, you know, yelled at, you get accused, and on down the line you go. But for me to be sitting in my office this morning at Bethany Baptist Church here as their intro pastor, and I've been here uh, close to 19 months, to be sitting in this office this morning, that's an accomplishment to me greater than meeting Michael Jordan or, or Jeff Gordon in the, in the NASCAR field, or, you know, I can drop names all day. I mean, those things are nothing compared to God's. So that's my, what I would say, my greatest accomplishment. Well, people that have never been there don't know, and even I'm not a pastor, and there is not enough money. God would have to speak audibly to me and, and, and put it on a board for me to even think about doing that because just what you said. I mean, people take out all their frustrations in life on their pastor because they can't do it with their boss because they get fired. So no, you, you're, no. you're, a, you're a target. There's not, not enough anything to make me be a pastor. But what I have seen in my life is to get to do stuff and you go out on a stage, for instance, and think, uh-huh. God, if you don't come through, I'm sunk. Oh. Oh, and, yeah. and nobody knows, you don't know that until you step out on the limb. Most of us live these defensive lives. You don't ever put yourself in a position to fail. But yeah. it's only when you put yourself in a position to fail is that when you see what God can do and you get through and you said only God could do that. And yeah. and I've, I've experienced that so many times in my life. And the more you step out, yeah, we, we miss sometimes and we do fail sometimes. That's okay. But <laughs> but but the, the truth is we get blown away because we know that was a God thing. And it only increases our faith and decreases our dependence on self. People don't understand that until you've no. done it. And I, I do they understand don't. it. I can tell you. Wow. Yeah. And even, and even after almost 50 years of doing this, I've never felt comfortable. I've never felt confident. And I've certainly never been cocky uh, because my past and my brain reminds me from time to time who I am, what I've done. So my utter dependence upon God has got to be there uh, 100%. It's like they asked Billy Graham, do you still get nervous before he, even before he died when he was preaching still? Do you still get nervous before you preach? He said, yes, sir, I do every time I do. And the interviewer was shocked. Well, you know, like Billy, you've spoken to millions of people. You've been doing this for years. He said, yeah, but it's the nature of what I'm doing that I'm nervous about. I'm representing God. Yeah, and that's, that's the way it is for me. I know we even on a Wednesday night here at church or a Sunday morning coming up when I stand in that pulpit, <laughs> I'm the least one to stand in that pulpit. And that's what makes you powerful. That's what makes your ministry powerful. It's not like I believe that you have to do wrong to be great. But nope. I can tell you that when you do wrong and you experience that grace and can and people relate to that, if you can be transparent and about who you really are, and it's a powerful, powerful ministry. Randy, mm-hmm. I, I ask almost all my guests this, and I, I want to ask you 
power of the internet is crazy. I'm going to push this button. Hopefully this will come out in a few days. I release these every Thursday. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, anybody in the world has access to it. And not only that, but it will be here forever uh, unless the internet breaks. I don't know uh, <laughs> how that works. But yeah. there may be people listening to this, your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, or going down that never even got to meet you or didn't know you, but they know they want to know about you and they love hearing your voice. What do you want them to know about you when it's all said and and done, what do you want your loved ones to know about Randy Kennedy? That I love God and that I gave it all I got and I did my best to serve Him and that I want them to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord and I want the 53787 to be a reality in their life. That they'll go and meet Jesus one day, not because of their church membership, who they are, what they've done, what they've become. But they one day realize that without him, I can do nothing. And I want them to know Christ. And his grace, right? His grace, 100% grace. Any closing thoughts, Randy? Anything you want to add? I want to talk about your speaking and your the uh, opportunity people have to get to find you and all that. But you got any closing thoughts of... Uh, you want to add that I haven't asked that you want to say? Not really, Bruce. If I, you know, hey, I'm available. If you don't mean to come and speak in your church or your group or come bring a word or me and Lisa can come, I can come. I'll just send her if I need to because a lot of guys say the only reason you're standing in the pulpit preaching this morning is so we can hear Lisa sing. <laughs> so good. if I just need to send her, I'll send Lisa to you. But so, you know, we're available We're available to minister to you wherever you are, whether you be corporate, whether you be a church, whether you be an organization. I don't, I don't care. And I love sharing. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to do that. You do speak to groups outside of the church. And I know that you, it'll be a little bit different message to the outside of the church. It's the same message, but you use a little bit different technique to, to give principles of living and leadership and all that. Talk about that, of your ministry outside of the church, because there are people that are in desperate need for speakers to inspire and motivate people to be authentic leaders. There's biblical principles that people need to put in their lives wherever they are. Yeah, there's no question. And if somebody doesn't agree with that, I'll be glad to debate them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I don't care what you believe. Yeah. And, and you may you may believe different or maybe you're not there, but the principles that are in God's Word, uh, it is. You can't argue with those principles, I can tell you that. That is for sure. Well, you can't. I think we got to go back to just simple right and wrong. You know, we, yeah. we are, we're so clouded on that today that our young people, they have no clue what right and wrong is anymore. So let's just go talk about what's right and wrong. Let's, wow. Yeah, absolutely. So how do they get you, Randy? Uh, you've got a website, right? Well, I do. It's so outdated. And uh, I mean, it's, but anyway, I do have a website. It's just randykennedy.org. Okay. Uh, and then I have an email address, drk at randykennedy.org. D- uh, drk, as in Dr. Randy Kennedy. Yeah, at- Dr. K at randykennedy.org. Okay. And then uh, they can call me on my cell number, 770 833 
And I mean, I'm I'm personal. I'll answer my phone most of the time. If I'm not, I'm busy, and I'll call you back. Uh, leave a message. Shoot me an email. Uh, hey, I, you know, and if you just want somebody to pray with you, if you just want to say, you know what, I heard you today. I'm going through some stuff. Can you can you pray with me? I'll pray with you right there on the phone. Would love to do that. I believe it, folks. If you want somebody to come speak to your group, that's a humble guy, and you can see that in this conversation, and you can hear it loud and clear. He's a humble, meek gentleman. He is a gifted communicator. If you want somebody to come minister to your group, he just gave you the information on how to get him. I can tell you, you'll be blessed. I've known him for how long has it been? 30 years? 31 years? 31 years. <laughs> he only got better and better. Yeah, he went through a tough spot, as all of us do, but he came out of it, as all of us can, much stronger than he was before he went through it. And that is mm. the grace of God, and that's what it's all about. Mm. Randy, thank you, my friend. This has been awesome. What a great conversation, man. I just been I'm honored to have you on here. Hi, uh, Bruce. Thank you. I love you, buddy. Tell your family hello and let's get together soon and maybe you can meet uh, my children while we're down there. I would love to do that. Just let me know. Viewing life from a it could be worse Laugh, think, and cry With the country undertaker